It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Today, we're going to dive into a subject matter that one of our Patreon supporters suggested. I want to give a huge shout out to Rye, who has been a very generous supporter of this show, but also has provided us with some topic suggestions. And I want to remind all listeners that we love hearing from you, truly. Sending in your thoughts on the show, your suggestions, questions that you have, we look at all of them. Sometimes it takes us a little bit of time to get back to you, but we read it all. We appreciate it all. And if you're interested in becoming a Patreon supporter, I want to remind you of our second podcast called This Hits the Spot, which we just finished recording an episode of. And it's a show that brings us lots of love or lots of joy and love. We talk about products and services on there and you basically get to support two podcasts at one at two podcasts at the same time for as little as $2 a month. Uh, You can also get This Hits the Spot by signing up for our email newsletter, which is another way that you can support the show because we love staying in touch with you there. All the information is at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. This topic today is on emotional numbness, which ties into some of the things that we've been getting into recently. And it also ties into our sponsor, who I will mention briefly and we'll talk more about later. If you haven't been listening to episodes in the past few weeks, uh, you may not know that our sponsor is Embody Me. We had the owner, the founder of that brand on as a guest last week, and she was phenomenal. We got into some really great topics to not only hear her history and, and how she started the company, but discussing all of these things that are related to our emotions. And I just took an Embody Me class. It's a virtual wellness studio, and it's very supportive of entrepreneurs, especially female entrepreneurs, but they have all of these well-being classes. And Jason, I have to say that the class I took was the face yoga. I mentioned last week that I wanted to take that, and I haven't finished it yet. But it was amazing because I just watched like maybe five minutes or so, maybe up to 10 thus far. It's about a 30-minute class. And it was transformative for me, truly. And it was actually a phenomenal thing to do right before we started recording. Because we're speaking for so long, we're using our face muscles. And I tend to carry a lot of tension in my face muscles. This is going to also tap into the emotional numbness topic today because I feel like we actually can lose connection with our body. And one of my favorite things about doing yoga, meditation, any type of body movement or or body work, if someone's working on my body, and sometimes the simple things like applying body care on our like products on our body, which actually this uh, class got into at the very beginning, using all the different tools that can support you with releasing tension from your face. All of those things can help us tune into our bodies. And 
I wanted to start off with this because a few weeks ago, I had some body work done after experiencing a flare-up of TMJ, which I had not had in years. And it was so painful. And still to this day, my jaw hasn't fully recovered. It still feels tight. It still has this like sandy sound. Anyone that's ever had TMJ, one of the symptoms of it is when you move your jaw to eat, it almost sounds like there's sand rubbing in your ear. It's really frustrating, plus the tension and the pain. And when I went to that body work, she worked on my entire body. And I could not believe how much pain I had. And it was this signal to me that I was not that in touch with my body. I think that we numb ourselves in so many ways. So I'm really excited to explore this today. I think it's going to be a sensitive, deep subject. And to finish out my experience with the face yoga, it was helpful because part of the class involved like closing your eyes and tuning in and deep breathing and putting all this focus on my face. And I thought, wow, like I never do that. (laughs) Like when I put on face cream, serums, oils, whatever I'm doing... It's just like I quickly put it on and I feel it going on my skin and I move on. But if we spend just a few minutes a day placing attention on a part of our body like our face that we use so much, I feel like the results can be huge for us releasing tension, relaxing and tuning in to how we really feel plus how we look because I think a lot of us carry shame in our appearance, especially our face. And some people do treatments on their skin so that they can reduce wrinkles and signs of aging, which I think sometimes those accumulate because we're not paying enough attention. So I've noticed that by making sure my face is properly moisturized, hydrated, and also making sure that I'm releasing the tension in my face, I feel better on a number of levels. So there's a lot to get into today. We have an article that Rye had sent to us. I'm looking forward to digging into that as well. And mainly, it's the subject matter of the pressure to numb out and condition ourselves not to worry about pain, physical or emotional, to get over it and keep going. And wow, I think most people can relate to this especially right now, as we've addressed on the show, we've got really scary information about climate change that just came out recently. We have all these deaths and long-term impacts of COVID. And we've also talked about, what is that term, Jason? We did a whole episode on where you... Compassion fade. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, compassion fade. And there's another term. There's two different versions of like compassion fatigue and compassion fade. So if you want to go listen to that episode now or after this one, we get into some of the research and our personal experiences and opinions on how it is very tempting to numb out. And I think in order to cope, especially with how much information is in the media and how much pressure there is societally, sometimes it feels like the only way to get through the day is to numb out. So I want to ping pong this back to you, as you would say, Jason, or or what do you say? Do you say ping pong it back? No, that's actually your thing. I usually say pass the baton. Do I actually say ping pong it back? I don't. <laughs> no, I'm saying like now that's your thing. Mine is pass the baton, but now yours is ping pong. 
I don't really like it. I don't even no. know how that okay. phrase came out. So I don't really want it to be my thing. <laughs> Pass the baton. Okay. I, that, that sounds like something you've said a lot. Okay. Well, the baton is yours, Jason. On this subject matter, what comes up for you when you read what Rye suggested to us? It's something I can absolutely relate to. And I think that for me, as a really sensitive, highly empathetic person, this is something that I've been working on, not only with my therapist, Gary, who I've mentioned in many, many episodes, but other energy healers, spiritual healers, the shamanic practices I, I've worked with. I've talked a lot and gotten a lot of practices and perspectives on how to see empathy and sensitivity as a gift and also to maintain energetic boundaries so you don't get drained by your sensitivity and your empathy. Which I think under, for lack of a better word, normal circumstances, I've had measures of success with that, Whitney, of, of feeling like I can allow myself to feel things without being super overwhelmed or feeling like I need to shut down. However, the seemingly daily barrage, not seemingly daily, it is a daily barrage of red alarms around climate change, red alarms around at this time of the recording, the Delta variant and the Lambda variant now that is in Los Angeles, they were saying, there's so much doom scrolling with death and apocalyptic messages and just facing the sheer unknown of everything that what I'm feeling right now is a absolute like desensitization. I'm feeling a desensitization and a numbing because it's so overwhelming right now to feel what I feel and the uncertainty, the fear, the confusion, the fact that it seems like every other day, the reports and the facts around you know COVID are changing and the reports and the facts around climate change continue to feel more dire and scary. Now, you know, I could default and say, well, that, that's that's the media because, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And we know that clickbait is real and, the, you know, the media wants us to read things and watch things. So there is an element of sensationalism, I think, that is baked into the media. It doesn't mean those things are not true, though, when I say that. I think what I'm experiencing, Whitney, is I feel like my heart is really shut down right now. And I know that that is probably a compensation mechanism for me psychologically because if I were to feel, it's almost like if I were to allow myself to feel all of the things that I'm feeling, I don't know that I'd get anything done. I think I would probably just crawl into a ball and not talk to anyone and not return any emails and not do any work for like days on end. Like that, that's the level of mortification I feel truly. That's the level of disillusionment I feel. It's the level of despair. I feel a lot of despair right now. And I think that shutting down emotionally and closing off my heart is what I'm doing right now to protect myself. Because I feel like if I were to really feel everything, I think I would shut the fuck down, like completely. And, and y'all wouldn't hear from me for days. And there's almost a fear in that. What if I were allow myself to feel the depth of my despair, feel the depth of my disillusionment, feel how heartbroken I actually feel right now with the state of the world? Because I feel fucking heartbroken. Like I just look around and I just feel a sense of devastation and heartbreak. I don't know. Does that answer the question? <laughs> it does. And 
as I'm reflecting on what you're saying here, a few things are coming up as one, it might be much better for us to really feel this because perhaps that allows us to live more authentically. You know, I'm so my entire life, I've noticed this, but the older I get, the more aware I am of, of this noticing, which is like, I am so turned off by things that are fake. Having depth and meaning and realness is huge for me. And let's just say when I'm on social media, I prefer sometimes to see someone share their struggles than share their highlights, especially if they do it in a vulnerable way. Now, if somebody wants to share their highlights, those are great too. There's this girl on TikTok, for example. I love her content, but the way that she presents it feels so fake. And I I sense that she means what she's saying. She's sharing really good information, but she does it in this like actory way that many people have. And this is actually something I've I've heard a few people reference. It's like I think a lot of the reference was to the beauty movement on YouTube, where there became like this very specific way in which beauty YouTubers would do their videos. And they moved in a certain way. They had everything was like very formulaic. The way they spoke, there was like a whole language, like even their pronunciations of things and I found myself doing this too. And, and as I was watching this girl on TikTok the other day and observing my reaction to her, I also simultaneously felt like I could relate and wondered how many times in the past did I do that because I thought I needed to, even though that wasn't the real me. That was the way that I felt like I needed to, to fit in and to get approval and all of these things, right? So we have almost that type of coping mechanism where we might be going through life outwardly presenting ourselves as one way, but inwardly experiencing something completely different. And when that's not an alignment, how is that good for us or others? Who's to say anyone even likes that presentary side of us? You know? So that's my first response to you, Jason. It's like, why can't you just turn off for a few days and just feel your feelings? Why is that such a a bad or scary thing to you? Because I feel like there's this mechanistic pressure of society to keep showing up for life in a certain way of like, I still feel this weird pressure of, I have to show up for the podcast in a certain way. I have to show up for social media in a certain way. I have to show up for my job and my clients in a certain way. When what I really want to do is disconnect from the world completely right now and just go and cry and mourn. And it's interesting too. I've been thinking a lot about how our current global situation with COVID, it's a respiratory virus, right? And if we think about, if we look at energy medicine and traditional Chinese medicine and and some of these practices, the emotion of grief, Whitney, is stored in the lungs. I think on a global level, there's a massive massive amount of grief that is unprocessed right now with nearly 8 billion people on this planet. There's the loss of habitat. There's natural disasters like all of the floods that are happening right now. There's the earthquake that just happened in Haiti that killed hundreds of people. There's the wildfires that continue to rage 
on the West Coast that are hundreds of thousands of acres, the loss of forest, animal life, human life, people's homes. There's a fucking unbelievable amount of grief on this planet right now. And I know that I'm not like fully processing it. And I know that probably a lot of people aren't either because it's like head down. How am I going to pay the rent? I'm going to get evicted. What the fuck is happening? The billionaires are going to space. I don't feel supported. The government's pulling out the rug from our unemployment. Like, I don't want to sound like a doomsday preacher here, but there's some fucking painful shit happening that needs to be grieved. And I know I'm not fully doing it. And I'm sure a shit, a lot of people on this planet are not fully grieving what needs to be grieved. And so it's no surprise to me, people can debate wherever they think the virus came from. That's not, I don't want to even get into that in this moment, but it's no surprise to me that we are battling a debilitating respiratory virus on a global level as we are dealing with massive unprocessed grief. To me, that is not a coincidence at all. So if anything, Whitney, I don't feel like I have the space to process what I need to process because of the pressure to keep working, keep creating, keep putting out content. Like every single day, I feel like so many people want things from me in my life that like, I feel, I feel like I'm drowning in it. And that's probably why I want to just pull the plug and not talk to anyone and not see anyone for days. So I can just cry. Like, I feel like I need to cry for days. I'm not exaggerating. I feel like I could go off for days and just fucking cry because of the pent up grief and pain and sadness and rage and disillusionment I feel right now, you know, and that's real. And I think also I've tried to talk myself out of feeling it, you know, like, oh, well, you have so much privilege. You're this, you know, white facing cisgendered male with a roof over your head and food on the table and you're not going to get evicted and you don't have COVID and look at all the pain and destruction around you. You have and you know what? Fuck that. I'm allowed to feel whatever I want to feel. I don't give a shit. Like, I don't give a shit about that mentality of trying to convince me that I'm not allowed to grieve and I'm not allowed to feel pain because of my privilege. I'm in pain because I feel, because I look at the world and I see the amount of devastation and pain and I feel it and I internalize it because I'm empathic. So if I don't process this, I know it's going to mutate and congeal into something awful, Whitney. So I don't know. Maybe I do need to tell everyone just to fuck off and cry for three days straight. I feel like that's honestly what I need to do. And I fully support you in that because it's actually a great time for you to do that. In my opinion, as a behind the scenes, we recorded this episode weeks in advance in mid-August 2021. And that's because I'm traveling across the country and will not be able to record for a week or two. So Jason, you have two weeks off of recording the podcast So you don't have that obligation. I feel like this is a perfect time for you to do the grieving. And also, we're not taking the break quite yet. By the time this episode comes out, we will have taken the break. But as of right now, while we're recording, we still have about two weeks to prepare for the break. So what if you spend the next two weeks planning to take a break, just like I'm taking a break? Because what you're bringing up here is also part of the reason that I'm doing this trip because I too need a break. I think the reason I crave road trips is because it feels like freedom. It feels like peace. It feels like a meditation. And last year on the road trip, especially on my way 
back when I did the trip by myself, which is what I'm doing this year. For context, if for those that didn't listen to these episodes, I did the first like I don't even know how to say this from Los Angeles to Massachusetts where I went to see my family. I was with my friend Leanne and we did a whole episode on this that you can go and listen to if you want to hear it. But from Massachusetts back to LA, nobody could come with me. So I did it by myself. And it was a very different experience emotionally, Jason, because being in the car, driving for many hours on end, I was just with myself and my dog. And I was listening to audiobooks. And I remember having to stop the audiobooks and not listen to anything, no music, no podcast, no audiobooks, nothing, and just sit in silence because I needed to process. And there were a few times on that trip where I cried so hard while I was driving, not in an unsafe way, but I just, I have this visceral memory of something triggered me that I was listening to, or some thought came up and I cried and I cried and it was such a relieving experience because it was just me and the road and it was so healing. And I'm actually anticipating and hoping that I have that experience again in, in two weeks, because to your point, I probably need it on a level that I don't even fully realize because I'm so busy coping. Just like I didn't realize how much physical pain I was in until somebody started working on my body. I didn't realize how much stress I was carrying in my face until I, until I started that Embody Me class today. A lot of times we just don't even notice it. So that's been my experience. But Jason, I encourage you to use that time I'm taking for myself for yourself as well. Because maybe you need that even more than you could possibly cognitively understand in this moment. It also brings me back to your experience with ayahuasca, which we did a two-part episode on. We'll also link to that. And, And for the listener, if you haven't visited our website yet, we have links to everything we mentioned all in one place for you on our website at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's a full transcript. There's a YouTube video once we get around to posting that. Sometimes it's delayed. Everything is in one place at wellevator.com, including the links to these previous episodes. And we did a two-part episode on Jason's experience with ayahuasca. And I'm thinking of that right now, Jason, because I feel like a lot of people are drawn to ayahuasca because they know they'll be processing their grief and their trauma and their stored up emotions. So I'm wondering, did you experience that? Because I know that you detailed this kind of visual journey that you went on and you were like hallucinating, if I remember correctly. Like, But I don't remember how you were processing grief in that experience. And do you feel like it helped you go deep enough or do you feel like it was too temporary? And would you do ayahuasca again as a way to tune in and give yourself permission to process your grief? I think there was a big component of grief processing because there was a lot around control. There was a lot around safety. There was a lot around loneliness that came up for me to look at during that session. And to answer your point, I reflect on a lot of the moments of that experience during this pandemic, because it was almost prescient in certain ways. One of the experiences I had during the ceremony was feeling like I had stopped breathing. And I couldn't remember how long it had been since I'd stopped breathing. 
And so there was a lot of things around breath and life and control and letting go and surrendering to the unknown. I mean, there were a lot of really kind of macro experiences that I think have been absolutely applicable, you know, during our global situation. The thing is, though, you know, have I been depressed and suicidal and anxious and had panic attacks since then? Yes, I have. So it wasn't a panacea. I didn't expect it to be either. I want to say that I, I didn't have an expectation going in to that ceremony that it was going to somehow magically wash away all of my mental health issues or my struggles. It gave me different perspectives, deeper insights, things to consider, but it wasn't like a magic pill or in this case, a magic brew that just, you know, wiped the slate clean, so to speak. One thing that I am going to be doing with my therapist is assisted MDMA therapy, which I think affects the brain chemistry in a very different way. So I'm still very much a proponent of conscientious experimentation, especially for people that have mental health issues. Again, Whitney and I are not licensed mental health professionals. We are not counselors. We are not neurologists. But having both struggled with our own, you know, mental health issues in different ways, we we do promote exploring different options that are outside of the mainstream narrative. So I think ayahuasca was an assist, Whitney. It wasn't a cure-all. Would I do it again? Yes, I would. But I'm more interested in doing some of the other plant medicine therapies in the meantime to see how those affect me differently. It will be interesting, though, because MDMA apparently it has the ability to open the heart chakra. Like, it's a very heart-opening experience. I've never done it before. But being the fact that I feel so shut down and I feel so numb right now to go to the theme of this episode, it is going to be interesting for me in those therapeutic sessions to see how I feel. And if I do feel more opened, how am I going to respond to life if I feel like my heart is open? It's painful. Like on, on that note, like I'm aware my heart is shut down right now and it's painful, but I, I really don't know how to open it again. It's almost this confusing, like this is almost like a subtopic, you know, when you feel like your heart is shut down, how do you reopen your heart? I actually don't know. You know, I've spent time with my animals. I, I try and listen to the music that I love. I try and connect with joyful things, but my heart still feels like it's on lockdown. And do you relate to this feeling? Like, do you tune in and ever say like, wow, I feel super shut down right now? Like, what is your level of personal awareness, Whitney, around this idea of like shutting down your heart? Have you felt it before? And if so, have you done anything to like, you know, intentionally try and open your heart again. I feel like this is such an interesting and esoteric subject. It's something I reflect on because I am fascinated by my experience. And when I have something revealed to me, it just brings up questions. And I think that's why like on the road trip, especially driving such a long distance across the country, I feel like it just gives me a lot of time to think and when I'm thinking about those things, like, and I, I give myself the space to process it, I'll start to have things revealed to me through that. And I think that's actually another reason I would encourage you, Jason, others, and myself to let it out because I've noticed there are times when I feel like it's inappropriate to have sadness. And I'll, that's when I'll find myself bottling up around certain people. I'm such a sensitive person, but I've learned to be less sensitive around others because I don't feel like other people can hold that space for me. And then I feel vulnerable or ashamed, embarrassed. 
And I think in my upbringing too, I mean, so many people are, are taught to have a tough skin, you know, especially women and, and just like so many people being afraid of that, like perceived feminine energy of showing your emotions, which I know you've talked a lot about Jason, like, like the world wants us to be more masculine and masculinity means you can't be emotional, which is just such a messed up perspective. And I think part of it is because a lot of people don't know how to handle others' emotions. We're confused by them and we're often scared of them. So because I think a lot of us yearn to connect with somebody and we try to connect with them and they they seem to reject us, then it's like, ooh, I don't want to be rejected. So I'm not going to show that side of myself, at least not yet. I'm going to wait until I feel safe. And sometimes we never feel safe. So I noticed that about myself. One thing that triggers me a lot is watching movies. I'll find myself, if I'm with somebody else, like holding back my tears. And I hate that feeling of holding back a cry. It's just like the tightness in my chest. To your point, Jason, it's like the tightness in the lungs, tightness in like that whole part of my body. And sometimes I'm like, oddly embarrassed for someone to see even tears coming down. Like, I don't like people seeing that. And I'll wait until I feel safe. I actually experienced this. Funny enough, it's it's coming up right now thinking about it. Last month when I traveled for the first time during COVID, during that brief window of time where it felt like things were getting back to normal in early July 2020, I was visiting with some friends with my sister. And my sister and I got in like a nitpicky fight and I was hurt by something that she said or did. And I was trying to express it. We were fighting about it. And I was trying not to like get too deep in it because other people are around and I I didn't want to make them uncomfortable, but I also wanted to express myself. And it was like this really interesting experience of like feeling misunderstood by my sister and not knowing how to move through it. And we were as a group going out somewhere together. And before we went out, I went into the bathroom and just like sobbed into a towel. Like I grabbed a towel and like used it to muffle my sobs because I was so hurt. And what happened between me and my sister was insignificant, at least in the grand scheme of things, but clearly it was significant enough to trigger so much sadness within me. And I'm really glad that I allowed myself to sob, but I also felt like I had to rush it. Like, I don't have a lot of time. Everybody's waiting for me. I'm going to go hide in the bathroom and cry because I felt like I couldn't continue on without crying, but I didn't want anyone to know I was crying. So it was like this weird experience of like, I'm going to allow myself to do something, but I got to rush it. And so it was like I was only able to release a certain amount and then I had to cut myself off and pull myself together because I didn't want people to know. And like, even though those people would be totally cool with me crying, I still didn't want them to see it. And that's really interesting too, because in general, I surround myself with very understanding, heart-centered people. But to answer your question, Jason, I still feel afraid And I still have a lot of shame around crying. So it's really interesting. It's fascinating to like really reflect on that, like how despite being vulnerable and open and comfortable with a lot of things, someone like me can still feel like they can't fully express the fullness of who they are and how they feel. 
And I imagine from my perspective on the world, if I'm feeling that way as an emotional open person, a lot of people must feel that way too, or even worse. It's kind of like, Jason, this weird thing that, that I'll see in documentaries or other mediums where someone will cry and they'll apologize, which is another thing that drives me crazy. This knee-jerk reaction that if you're going to cry on camera or cry in front of other people, why are we apologizing? There's a reason those scenes are left into documentaries. Because as a viewer, you feel emotionally connected and invested when you see someone cry. And yet, we feel this pressure to apologize. And it's always been odd to me. Like, if someone's being interviewed for a documentary... And they're upset about something that they're speaking on. Why do they need to apologize for crying? But 90 plus percent of the time people do. So I think our society has trained us to feel ashamed and embarrassed and apologetic about showing emotions and crying. And to your point, Jason, we bottle it up. We hold it in. And we keep all those issues in our tissues and maybe it's come, maybe they're forced to come out. Or I also wonder, and I'm curious about your studies, your research on longevity, Jason, like, is it, is there research to show that people who feel stressed and bottle things in like tend to have shorter lives? That's a great question. I don't know if there are any studies around increased mortality risk and say consistently high levels of adrenaline and cortisol. We know that in terms of stress hormones, when we feel anxiety, when we feel stress, when we feel panic, when we feel terror, fear, it activates that part of our nervous system that is sort of the fight or flight response, right? And we get flooded with adrenaline, we get flooded with cortisol. We kind of have a chronic addiction in the Western world to adrenaline and cortisol. We have, I think we have a chronic addiction to stress. I don't know that any studies come to mind specifically. That's something I would have to look up regarding, you know, studies around stress and longevity. I mean, that that's, I remember like looking at Dan Buettner's work in the blue zones, and I don't think he mentioned anything about a corollary. Studies about stress and longevity. Let's see. Oh, this is interesting. Huh. Okay. So apparently the first thing that came up, this is on sciencedaily.com. This came from an article in 2020. Apparently there was a study where researchers found that being under heavy stress can shorten life expectancy by 2.8 years. That's pretty significant. That's not like six months. I mean, 2.8 years is really interesting. So we will link to this in our show notes at wellevator.com. This was from the National Institute for Health and Welfare. This focuses on a study with multiple risk factors of life expectancy. Oh, this is really, really interesting. Apparently, for men, it was 2.5 years, and heavy stress for women was a reduction in life expectancy of 2.3 years. It's a really long study. I won't get into all of it here. But again, we will link to it at our website. But that's really interesting, Whitney. I had never seen that before. Well, on that note, I found another study, I assume, unless it's the same one, because I looked up 
emotional suppression and mortality risk. And there was a study done in 2013 across 12 years that found that those who suppress emotions rather than confront them head on may be at risk for earlier death, including death from cancer. It's still unclear about the link between emotional suppression and death, but this is what the researcher said. Suppression is believed to operate on health first at a behavioral level by inducing unhealthy coping behaviors such as overeating as substitutes for healthy emotional expression. Second, at a psychological level, higher levels of autonomic reactivity to stress measured both electrodermally and through blood pressure changes have been reported among suppressors. Direct correlations between suppressive defense styles have also been reported. In turn, neuroendocrine dysregulation, whether induced by stress processes or habitual health-damaging behaviors, have been implicated in the progression of a number of chronic diseases and ultimately earlier death. Which is really fascinating. I found another article. This summary was on a website or is on a website from pinarcoaching.com, which... I guess is a coaching service. And they summarize and get into the detail about how suppression doesn't help you move on from the pain because you cannot heal it until you feel it. Emotions are the roadside to your happiness, the road signs to your happiness. And so if you're pushing away an emotion, then you're pushing away a learning moment and pushing away progress. Things don't resolve themselves because you ignore them. They usually only worsen over time because the problems are allowed to deepen and that creates a divide. So I feel like a lot of things are coming to the surface right now. To your point, Jason, it feels like a lot of anger is coming to the surface and it does feel really scary. But similar to what I said in our episode about the climate change report that recently came out, I feel like sometimes we need all of this to be motivated and really address it. It's like when disaster strikes, that teaches us how to be better prepared. It's unfortunate. I'm not saying that it's a good thing that it happened, but we learn a lot through those tough times as a society. So It doesn't take away from the grief that we feel from the people that we've lost and the changes that are happening and the things that we cannot change at this point. But sometimes I feel like we have to be forced into a change. And I would rather be forced into a change than die. And for all these people that are suppressing and coping and doing all of this risky behavior because they can't deal with the root cause. I mean, that's such a common experience, right? Like think about how common alcohol and drugs are. Think about how common screen time is right now. I mean, myself included, I look and examine my relationship with my phone often, but I still choose, as I've said many times to spend a lot of time on TikTok. I'm very aware that that is a coping mechanism I'm very aware that I do that to give myself pleasure. I don't really drink. I also am not currently eating a lot of sugar, which is another form of coping mechanism. Like, I think I've trained myself to notice when I'm emotionally eating, when I'm emotionally drinking, when I'm interested in in drugs of any sort, when, you know, 
sex can be an escape. Like a lot of the things that we do for pleasure can be a coping mechanism. And ultimately, I'm not interested in distracting myself, but I do still distract myself with something as simple as TikTok. (laughs) You know, I also wonder on that note, Jason, when I think about like purists, people that like don't engage in any distractions, is that in itself a distraction? Like I'm going to become so pure and so good and only do things that are good for me. I feel like you can speak on, on this, Jason, because I feel like you and I have both gone through those phases. When you were really doing raw food, for example, and super strict about it and like surrounded in this community of people of like holier than now, I think a lot of the... um life hacking that people do. It's like, I'm only going to engage in things that are good for me and promote my longevity. But is that in itself a form of coping? Well, I think it's a transference in some cases of the obsessiveness that one might have had around sugar, alcohol, drugs, pornography, social media, television. I mean, we could name a lot of obsessive, addictive things that are out there. I think in some ways, what I've observed over the years for myself also, Whitney, is is it became an addiction to purity. It was like, okay, I need to eliminate all of the poisons in my life. So I'm only going to eat raw food because cooked food is poison. I'm only going to eat organic because conventional produce is poison. Pesticides are poison. No pornography, no coffee, no alcohol, no drugs, no sugar, no oil. I mean, I, I still see that not so much in the raw food community because I feel like the raw food community was definitely endemic of that mentality. But now it seems to have transferred to the whole food plant-based community where it's like no oil, no sugar, you know, only eat these foods. Everything is poison. To me, the stress and anxiety around living healthy and trying to live forever and purifying our bodies all the time, again, to me, because I've experienced it and I've done it, just felt like a transference of obsessive compulsive behavior from toxic behaviors to something that seems less toxic. But I got to a point, Whitney, where it was like, it started to feel like I was just trying to live up to some ideal in my head of when I get there and I'm meditating every day and I'm only eating living foods and I'm not putting any poisons in my body and I've removed all the toxic relationships. It feels like I'm, I'm condensing every meme around wellness into one conversation, but we see the same tropes on social media is like, you know, in order to fully heal, you need to get toxic people out of your life and toxic food and toxic thoughts and no more destructive poison, toxic anything. It's like, and then what? And then you'll be this perfected avatar of humanity. You'll be untouchable. Pain and suffering and grief and doubt will never reach you again because you've reached the pinnacle of the human condition. I think there's a lot of dysmorphic coping going on in that mentality. Maybe not for everyone, but I've seen it in a lot of people where they are trying to compensate for something. And I think a lot of it is control. I've talked about this in previous episodes, Whitney, like, I think for me, sometimes the way that I've chosen to eat and my lifestyle has been around the idea, well, I can't control much in my life. There's a lot of chaos, but what I can control is what I put in my body and what I don't put in my body, which, 
yes, I think I, it's important not to put toxic thoughts and foods and people in our lives, but it's the purity consciousness and the control mechanism and the compensation mechanisms that are embedded into it that I don't know if it's fully psychologically healthy. I think there's a lot of things that are potentially problematic with it, which is why I stopped eating raw food 100%. I got to a point, Whitney, where it was like, I'm not listening to my body anymore. This is a part of our conversation earlier when you talk about like feeling your face when you were doing the face, the face yoga with Embody Me, right? It was almost like the cerebral idea of being this perfect human being was overriding the signals my body was telling me, which was to eat a goddamn bowl of soup, bud. Go eat a warm bowl. No, I need to be a perfect raw foodist and cook food as poison. My body was like, bro, it's December in Detroit. Go get a bowl of soup. It was ignoring my body completely. So I think, you know, practices that can reconnect us to our body are so crucial because we can get so in our heads about this idea of what we ought to be. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, I love going to a yoga class. I love, and it's funny, you talk about crying in front of other people, Whitney. I didn't want to let that part go. I have cried in yoga class so many times over the course of my life. Classes with you too. We did a breathwork class a few years ago. And I'm in a room full of strangers other than you, and I'm just bawling my eyes out. And I think that's one of the benefits of, you know, doing classes, whether it's in person or online classes like our sponsor Embody Me, is you get a you get an opportunity to get back in your body. And especially if it's virtual, if you have an issue with feeling uncomfortable with crying in front of people, you can cry and cry and cry and turn the camera off and do all those things. And I know for me, when I do like a deep restorative yoga class, which I actually want to look on the class schedule this week with Embody Me and see if there's like a yin yoga or a restorative yoga class. But I know I'll probably cry because I haven't moved my body in a little while. And whenever I do unlock some of the somatic issues, you talk about issues in your tissues, for some reason for me, it's like when I do hip openers, Whitney, in a yoga class, like if I think back to almost every time I've cried in a yoga class, there have been hip openers involved in some way. Like there's so much stuck energy down there. So for you, dear listener, we encourage you to check out Embody Me as Whitney and I are really enjoying that platform. And you can get a free seven-day trial right now, a week of free classes. They have yoga, they have meditation, they have mindfulness, EFT tapping, face yoga, entrepreneurial empowerment classes. There's a wonderful, wonderful curriculum there. Just go to embodyme.live. E-M-B-O-D-Y-M-E dot live and use the code Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com to get your first seven days free and then 20% off your first month. We're big, big fans of it. And I'm looking forward to a good cry this week, Whitney. And I'm hoping that taking a restorative class with them will <laughs> open me up because I know I need it. I'm excited for you to dive into that. And actually, we talked about that in the episode with Amber last week how one of the big benefits to doing online classes is being creating a safe space for yourself because not everybody will feel comfortable crying in a room of, of strangers during a yoga class or breath work or tapping or whatever you're doing. So I love that. And I found I actually much prefer online classes, even though I miss the community element that can't quite be replicated online. There's just the benefits of online classes really outweigh 
the cons for me. So that's one of the big reasons we decide to partner with Embody Me. Going back to the purity side, though, and how it's possible that that's actually not leading you towards the life that you may actually want or need. We've referenced this book, The Body Keeps the Score, before. And I will say full transparency that recently I read some questionable things about the author, which were disappointing. I don't remember them all off the top of my head. But it's like, oh my gosh, that book has been such an amazing resource for better understanding trauma. And then from my vague understanding, it felt like maybe he engaged in some traumatic things for other people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how hypocritical. But I have not cross-referenced it What's his name? Bessel something like Bessel Van. Some. Do you remember his name, Jason? It's Bessel something, right? Oh God. <laughs> well, maybe you can find out behind Vanderkolk. Bessel Vanderkolk. Yeah. Maybe you can research the details about what happened and clarify it. But I found an article called "My Body Kept Score: What Purity Culture Didn't Know About Trauma," and this is on a website. I don't know what this website is about. So let me make sure I understand to give context. I haven't finished reading the entire article. It is a Christian website, it looks like. So this is fascinating, given that Jason and I have some mixed experiences and perspectives on Christianity. We also know that many of our listeners are Christian or Catholic or have religion as part of their life. And I I want to take the time to remind you that when we share these things, it's out of no disrespect. It's just purely based on what we're observing and experiencing in our own lives. I personally have a lot of respect for you know, all the different perspectives on religion. And I think it's really a sensitive subject. But this article is interesting to me. And I'm not fully sure where it's going because it's a long article that I started reading while we're recording. But I'm fascinated by this because the author was sharing about her experience growing up in American Christian purity culture in the late 1990s and how she absorbed messages of disregard for her body and that the desires and needs of her body needed to be subdued. She was taught not to trust her skin and her muscles, her neurotransmitters and her hormones, And she was taught not to draw attention to her body because she needed to keep everyone else comfortable. She goes through some of the things that she learned as she grew up and the traumas that she experienced. And one of them is something I think is worth noting here, which is that humans shake after intense experiences, whether it's shivering, sobbing, especially after hearing horrible news. However, we often suppress those urges to move our bodies because of how it might look to others or that we may feel out of control. We work hard to stay quiet and cooperative. Our highly developed prefrontal cortex has many benefits, but it will often stop us from following our body's natural healing pathway. She goes on to talk about some of the traumas she experienced and how her body kept her alive through these traumas, but she found out the hard way that it had been keeping score the whole time. And that ties into what we're talking about here, which is that the body does keep score and you can try to ignore all of the things going on 
as a coping mechanism. And you can try to live in this pure way. But if that purity keeps you from really feeling into your basic human functioning and needs and emotions, that purity may not get you to where you really want to be. And I think that's part of the challenge that I have with certain perspectives and avenues towards Christianity and other religions. It's that if they are training people to ignore who they really are at the core and feel shamed for it. I talked about that movie, Pray Away, which gets into conversion therapy and how some Christians were working really hard to convert themselves out of their homosexuality. And at the end of the documentary, a lot of people came out from saying that they could not live their lives that way. Ultimately, even those that had converted in the documentary ended up living their lives as homosexuals with same-sex partners. And it was fascinating because it felt like they were trying to train their core essence out of themselves for sake of what the religion believed. And that breaks my heart because I feel like you can be Christian and be true to yourself at the same time. Why do they have to be separate? You know, I feel like that those conflicts are actually moving people further away from God than closer. And that certainly was the case for me. I experimented with going to church for about a year and I loved so much of it. But what ultimately like prevented me from returning was it just felt too limiting and it didn't feel like it made sense to me. It didn't feel true to me, even though a lot of it felt amazing. And I learned so much and met incredible people. I was very turned off by some of the limiting beliefs and I don't believe them to be true based on some of the research that I've done that if we try to condition ourselves too much we prevent ourselves from experiencing the fullness of who we really are. And then we also pass that on to others through parenting, through friendship, through relationships, all these traumas and fears that build up within us because of how other people are expecting us to live our lives. And that's really sad to me. I would so much rather people accept one another for our differences and encourage one another to fully express who we are, even if we disagree with it, even if it's an inconvenience. And that goes back to, you know, what you brought up at the beginning, Jason, is sure, maybe taking several days off to lay in bed and cry will feel scary and vulnerable and be a big inconvenience to your friendships, your romantic relationship, your family, your work. But I would do it anyways. Because I think right now you need that because everything you've said indicates that you need it. And I think deep down, you know, you need it. So go do it. Even if it feels like the opposite of what you should be doing, your body is keeping the score and your body knows deep down what you need. And only you will know that answer. Yeah. I think it's more then, you know, three days of like emotional processing too. I think it's an accumulation of years of things. And I think it's also part of my spirit wants to be out of the dense 
intense urbanity of the city. I know that I'm also just deeply, deeply, deeply burnt out, Whitney, on living in a city. And I know that for me, part of my healing process is to get out of the city where I feel like I have the psychic and energetic space to process and be with nature and not be constantly bombarded by the smells, the smog, the sights, the sounds. So yes, I, I know I do need these days to process this grief, but the long tail grief and the long tail like resetting of my nervous system is going to involve a lot more than just three days, right? I, I'm not expecting it just to be like, yeah, just go cry for three days and unplug from the world and you'll feel, I know I will feel better, but the long-term impact of leaving an environment that I think is, is brutally oppressive to my nervous system and my psyche is a bigger part of this conversation. So I think for each one of us, you know, it's with everything that we present and we talk about, we never, ever want to position things that we discuss or the studies we pontificate on or our life experience as a one size fits all approach. We are never going to position things as you ought to do this too. You know, we hope that that doesn't come off, whether it's our spiritual beliefs or our practices or our own personal traumas. I think that, you know, human beings are such complex, multi-layered beings that what works for one of us, Whitney, is not necessarily going to work for another person. We always want to put that caveat with anything that we're discussing here. But that's what it goes back to our mantra of conscientious experimentation and why things like, again, our friends at Embody Me and Amber, who built this beautiful online wellness portal, gives you so many options to explore as a choose-your-own-adventure of what may or may not work for you. EFT tapping might work for me. It might not be so great for you. Restorative hip opening yoga might be great for me, not so great for you. It's this whole wellness journey, I think, really is about experimentation, trying things, being consistent, and being honest about what's working and not working. There's so many things I did 10, 15 years ago, Whitney, in my wellness practice I don't do anymore. And that's okay because we need to honor our evolution as beings. We need to honor our changes as we go on through life. And what works for us five years ago, 10 years, 15, 20 years may or may not be what works for us now in this present moment. So with that, I think we have to be willing to try new things and shake things up in our lives. We have to. Absolutely. And I'm glad that we explored this. And thank you to Rye, our amazing Patreon supporter, for suggesting this. It's been a really important thing for us to, to share because through that I think Jason is acknowledging some important things and it gives me a lot of food for thought, especially as I gear up for this road trip. I also wanted to follow up. I could not find anything about Besser van der Kolk. So I wonder if like I misunderstood or, but you, I sent that to you months ago, Jason. Remember there was like a couple people that... I felt like came forward about something, but like there's no sign of it online right now. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. I just wanted to point that out that I could have been wrong, but I know that I saw something and I sent that to you and Jason and I were both like, not him too. Like, it was like a me too thing, I thought, right? Like, but there's no it record. Was, of it. Yeah, it was something you had sent me about him I believe, sexually traumatizing some of his patients, students. It was months ago, I don't recall, but it was something in the line of sexually inappropriate behavior. Right. But yet, either it's not on the web for some weird reason or was not 
discovered to be a legitimate claim. I don't know. So I just want to put that out there that inconclusive in this moment. But if if you, the listener, happen to know more about <laughs> what I th- saw a few months ago, please bring it to our attention. And if not, I, I mean, all I can find is wonderful <laughs> things about him right now. So that gave me some hope because I think he's doing really important work. And a lot of people have been acknowledging it recently. I read the book a few years ago and it was like, something I stumbled upon. And now it feels like more and more people are talking about trauma and how to work through it and acknowledging the impact on us, which is incredibly important. So I, for one right now, think that Bessel van der, van der Kolk, is how you pronounce it? He's doing really important work. And I hope that I completely misunderstood any allegations against him. (laughs) So we'll link to that book. As of now, we still recommend it. We'll link to the articles that we referenced. And many of those articles also have mental health resources for you. As Jason said, we are not mental health medical certified um, therapists or or clinicians or anything. So we will always refer you to professionals that can help you through these hard times. And hopefully some of those resources are a good starting point for you. We do believe that awareness is is the key. And our aim is to bring things to our own awareness and then bring it to yours. And we appreciate you when you bring things to our awareness so that we can talk about it here too. And we're also appreciative of any wellness practices that you can do to tune more into your body. So thanks again to Embody Me. We'd love to hear if you, the listener, try it out yourself. So send us a message. It always brings us so much joy when our sponsors resonate with you too, because we want to make sure that any financial compensation that we get for doing this show is in alignment with our values and yours. We heard great things about Head & Heal, the CBD sponsor that we had semi-recently. And it just made my heart shine knowing that you were trying out their products and enjoying them as much as we are. So again, please let us know about your experiences with Embody Me. And if there's any other brands that you're loving too, let us know so we can try them out and check out other online services. You are incredibly important to us. We value you. We're not here just to share our own experiences at Jason's point. We're here to learn and grow right alongside you. So thank you so much for listening. We have another episode coming up later this week. And a reminder that we are currently experimenting with just doing two episodes a week. We used to do three, but now we are doing Mondays and Fridays. Mondays are a solo episode like this episode, and Fridays are our guest episodes. We used to have our Wednesday episodes and we may do them again in the future, but we need your feedback on it. If we don't get your feedback, we'll make our own decision. (laughs) But if you miss the Wednesday episodes, let us know. And if you don't miss them, we still want to hear from you because then we'll continue doing this because it saves us a lot of time and energy. But I I wouldn't mind going back to Wednesdays. We'll see. We're going to give Jason the break that he needs (laughs) and report back on how that goes. And we'll be back with another solo episode next Monday and our upcoming guest episode this Friday. Thanks again. Hope you're doing well. And we hope to have you here again with us very soon. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. 
For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.